The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, press pause on your life remote and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 368 with guest Steve Smith, recorded live Tuesday, August 5th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who says... It's lonely at the top, but the food is better. Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, and welcome to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. I'll be with you for the next hour or so. Richard Campbell's still on vacation in the Galapagos Islands. Filling in for him today on the phone, Mr. Mark Dunn, the original .NET Rocks co-host. How are you, sir? Hey, Carl. How are you doing? Are you excited? Good to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a very exciting show, something that's right up your alley today and mine. What are we talking about today anyway? I, you're going to surprise me. We're going to talk about moving from being a technical, a technologist, basically, to a technical business person, an entrepreneur. But, but before we do that, I want to get into Better Know a Framework. And, of course, Better Know Framework is a little section I do every every show where I shine a little flashlight on a dark corner of the .NET Framework. And the idea is that hopefully over time, by osmosis, if you're listening, you know, you'll, you'll remember someday when you're looking around for that class or that namespace. Ah, I remember where this one was. And this one, actually, Mark, you, uh, you told me about, right? Oh, right. Blame it on me. Yeah, it's your <laughs> fault. Mark's fault. <laughs> for the quality of the show today. I, I do apologize. No, this is a uh, stopwatch class in the system diagnostics namespace, which provides a set of methods and properties that you can use to accurately measure elapsed time. And um, 
So it, you know, we can do this by using the now keyword or datetime.now. And there is actually ticks resolution on now on a date time, right? So that you could, you know, do ticks and get really, really accurate. But I'm not so sure that uh, how accurate it is compared to the stopwatch. Do you know anything about the accuracy of stopwatch? I, I have no idea. I just saw an article uh, a while back that it was a brand new class that showed up in the uh, in the framework. Yeah. So that's why I mentioned it to you. Well, there is a property or uh, uh, is high resolution to determine the precision, and, and you can also use frequency. So you get a little more control, I guess, and that probably means higher accuracy. Otherwise, why would they build it, you know? But there is a good example of using the stopwatch class in the documentation. So, you know, if you're feeling scientific and want to do an experiment out there in listener land, go ahead and by all means do that and let us know what you find. Also, uh, we have an email here, which is pretty cool. Uh, Richard usually reads the emails, but uh, it's kind of fun for me now. This is from uh, a guy in Paris whose uh, first name I'm probably going to butcher, but it looks it's uh, I-L-I-A-S. Ilya, I'm guessing it could be anything. I just don't understand how to pronounce that in French, and I'm sorry. I'm Southern, so I'm obviously of no help to you when it comes to pronouncing a foreign name. Yeah, you'd probably be like, Elias. Elias. Yeah, I put at least five syllables in there. Elias. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, he says, Carl and Richard, first of all, let me say that you can never decide to stop this show because a lot of people are simply addicted to it. I think this is the only show in the world that I can play more than once. That's a pretty good compliment. High praise. Yeah. Last May, I moved to Paris from Atlanta. Ooh, dude, culture shock. Speaking Absolutely. of being... I can't imagine it, Carl. Wow. No barbecue in France. I'm <laughs> certain of that. Y'all ever... No, I won't say that. <laughs> I was going to say something really bad. I just won't. Uh, last May, I moved to Paris from Atlanta, and your show is my daily dose of American greatness. In technology, well, anyway, no offense to the rest of the world, I'm not American either. Since I listen to it daily, I have to replace some of the old shows, so any way I can get you to do the show daily? Um, probably not. Probably not going to do it daily, but once Richard is done with his um, current obligations at his company, whenever that is and however that is, he wants to do only radio, so we might do some more shows then. He says, your show convinced my fiancé... Uh, Fatine, sorry if I'm butchering her name, I'm so, so sorry, to give up telecom to be a software developer. And this is my story for today. She's a new graduate from one of France's top telecom engineering schools. Her English is not perfect, but she does a crazy effort to listen to your show because she sees how happy I am when I'm playing your show on my iPod. So she started listening and she said once, wow, they are cool in English. I, uh, she said that because she thinks you make tough technology sound cool and make one want to learn. And so she did. Uh, anyway, I hope I'm not boring you by this, but I just want to thank you for the show. If you're coming to Paris any day, let me invite you to a nice Napoleon cake. Wow, that sounds good. Thank you very much. And we will send you a couple of .NET Rocks mugs, one for you and one for your fiance. That's pretty nice. Very nice email, Carl. Very nice email. Uh, before we introduce Stephen, I uh, just want to mention that um, the 
the folk, the fine folks down at Infusion in New York City are still looking for people. Uh, I'm not so sure they're still doing the New York tour, but they're always looking for people to work in um, SharePoint and uh, on the Surface platform, Microsoft Surface. They're also looking for people to send to Dubai. So if you want to go to Dubai, which is like, you know, the new high-tech stomping grounds of the world, uh, there's a lot of opportunities there. If you have any interest in any of that stuff, send me an email, carl at franklins.net. Mark, uh, I haven't really given you a chance to talk about what you've been doing lately. What are you up to? Uh, I'm just like hanging out in my office this week, Carl, and enjoying the heck out of it because I've been on the road solid for like six weeks. So, uh, you know, it's just nice to sleep in my own bed once in a while. Yeah. But uh, I've I've done a couple of user group tours for Inetta, one out in the Midwest and one through the Southeast. Uh, met a lot of great developers, really enjoyed that. I uh, actually took my son on one of those with his guitar. Oh, cool. And uh, he was playing songs to kind of warm the crowd up uh, huh. before I started, uh, you know, doing a technical presentation. That's awesome. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. And uh, just, you know, we still do a lot of training, so we're teaching a lot of classes. Right. Uh, Mark Berry and I just taught uh, something that we tried new uh, called Introduction to Object-Oriented Programming with Design Patterns. Nice. And uh, we, we developed that class to sort of fill in the gaps uh, that we saw were missing between someone taking an intro class and a really advanced class. Cool. Wow, that's great. Uh, you're still doing CSLA.net classes for uh Yeah, for we, do, we do CSLA training every month in Atlanta, and we have a new master class uh, that's coming out. Uh, we, we are going to do the first one in Atlanta in November, and it's going to be a five-day class. So Miguel is hard at work on that right now. Well, that's great to hear. Keep up the good work, Mark. Thanks. All right, let's introduce Steve Smith. Steve is a Microsoft Regional Director, a MVP, an ASP Insider, and a frequent conference speaker. Uh, his blog covers a variety of .NET topics with a frequent focus on software development techniques and application performance tips. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me on the show. For uh, people who watch DNR TV, you'll remember Steve Smith did the winning presentation at Speaker Idol in two, uh, TechEd 2007. He uh, won with a, uh, a, talk, a five-minute talk on scalability and how to dramatically improve ASP.NET scalability by doing a simple cache, page cache, for one second. Would that make Stephen kind of like the Kelly Clarkson of uh, Speaker Idol? <laughs> Uh, he's going to have to reply to that. I I can't. I'm sorry. I don't even watch American Idol, so I don't know who Kelly Clarkson is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my uh, my impression level of you just went up. My respect level of you just went up like about 10 points, Stephen. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, and if it could have gone any lower, I've, I've reduced mine even further with Carl. <laughs> <laughs> There's an inverse relationship between the respect level of both of you guys. So... Um, but what I thought was cool about that, just if you haven't seen the DNR TV episode, watch it, because you prove that increasing the cache, when you have a database bottleneck, that's really what it was, when the bottleneck is in the database, you if by just by increasing the cache one second, you dramatically improve scalability, and if you increase it any more, you really don't do all that much to improve scalability. Like, there's a level of diminishing returns with the number of seconds that you cache. So just by caching a page for one second, 
you're really going to make a dramatic improvement. I thought that was great. Yeah, I mean, that's only true if the page is being requested more than once a second. So, you know, it only right. works on a busy page. But totally, once uh, you move the bottleneck away from the database, any additional cache duration is just giving your users stale data and not going to make it any faster. Right. Very, very cool thing to show. Well, that's not what we're here to talk about, though. I wanted to have you on the show with Mark because all three of us are developers turned entrepreneurs. And this is a fairly unstable economic climate uh, in America right now. And what I mean by that is just there's a lot of, um, hmm, I would, I would call it rampant paranoia about the economy and where we're headed. And there seems to be a real resurgence in uh, small businesses and entrepreneurship and people who want to start their own companies. Uh, mostly, I think, due to the fact that there's been so many layoffs right. in the in the high tech and development uh, industry. So, uh, so I just want to talk to you because we've all, all three of us, have done that successfully. Now, uh, people know what I've been doing, and they pretty much know what Mark does. But tell us what uh, what company you started, Steve, and why. Well, I run uh, a company with my wife, and that, that company is Lake Quincy Media. And we are basically the Microsoft uh, Developer Advertising Network. And what we do is we uh, serve ads on about 110 different Microsoft Developer websites, providing support for those publishers so they get financial uh, income for their advertising on their sites. But they don't have to deal with the advertisers. They don't have to worry about finding advertisers and renewing them and invoicing them and all that stuff. Instead, that happily falls to us. And then the other side of the coin is that we deal with, you know, about 50 to 100 uh, advertisers at any given time who are trying to reach these Microsoft developers with their products. So we ensure that the uh, the websites get highly targeted ads and they're not looking at, you know, those old punch the monkey t- style ads right. or, or pop-ups. You know, we're not giving them the, the low-grade ads that you get from, from some of the more general ad services out there. We're giving them stuff that .NET developers hopefully would actually be interested in seeing. What's interesting about this is you took um, a, a sort of, it's a real niche thing. I mean, you took a model that works in general and you just narrowed the scope down to what you know, which is the .NET market. Yeah, I mean, it really, it sort of, the business sort of took over my life because um, back in the late 90s, I was running ASPLines.com, which which we still run. And it was getting fairly popular, and we were talking to advertisers, and this was when advertising was pretty new in the Internet. And I knew most of the other people that had .NET websites, or ASP websites really at the time. And so a bunch of us just kind of got together and said, hey, why don't we all sell our ads collectively so that it's more efficient, and then we'll just show the ads on all our sites. And so we had this little, uh, I don't know, ad network going on for a while. Um, but for the most part, I was the one that wrote the software that served the ads, and I was doing most of the sales. So over time, that pretty much just kind of fell to me completely. And a few years ago, we, we formalized it by launching a, a separate company, a separate business that's strictly just this ad network business. So, Stephen, it kind of organically grew out of uh, something that you were naturally doing already. Yeah, it did. And uh, I didn't expect, you know, five or six years ago that I would be running an ad network business, but uh, that's where I am today. So, Well, I look back on the ventures that I tried that didn't work out and most of them were because I had an idea but it was to sell something in a market which I was completely foreign to 
So um, I'm thinking, of course, I, I, I'm thinking, of course, of World Train, which was um, a software product. I, I had this idea for a product, but I didn't have any access to the market that was, you know, the, the, the best market for this product. I knew developers. And so when I put out World Train to the developers, it was a, it was a sort of a distance learning training tool by which you could create your own content and teach classes remotely. You know, and I, I still think, Carl, that was a great idea. I don't know if you remember, but uh, I almost became an investor in that, and you talked me out of it. Yeah, I just, it was, it was late in the game, and I thought, um, you know, I, I didn't think that I could basically break into the market I needed to. And the problem, of course, was developers wanted training. They didn't want a training tool. They wanted training from me. So that, you know, it was just the sort of... Uh, Sort of the thing is, the thing I'm getting to is, you know, look around the markets that you're already dealing with, and you probably have a much better chance of success if you do something working in a familiar market than just having a great idea that goes outside of your realm of expertise or or market. Right. I, I couldn't imagine starting a business in something I didn't know anything about. I'm, I'm sure there are guys that can do that and make that work somehow, but uh, I, I couldn't imagine doing it. Yeah. Um, so, Steve, are you doing this full-time now? Is this your job? Oh, yeah. I mean, for a while there, it was uh, out of the house, but uh, we've had an office and we have employees. We're up to a company with eight total employees now, um, which is mainly involved in Lake Quincy Media, but we also... Uh, continue to run ASPAlliance.com, which takes some time every week, and um, occasionally I do some consulting and training or, or speaking and things like that, which takes me out of the office. Um, I've, I've recently heard the term a few times of uh, certain people being serial entrepreneurs, where they've they've created a business and then sold it off and started another one, and maybe that failed and started another one. And I've decided that I'm sort of a parallel entrepreneur because I've got a whole bunch of businesses that I'm trying to deal with at once, and you know, yeah. doing pretty well so far, but it's it's starting to wear on me. Yeah, the best piece of advice I got was don't try to do too much. Just focus on one thing and do it really, really well. But I'm, you know, I'm, I never listened to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to take that advice myself. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik, and uh, let you know that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik. You know, summer is in full swing now, and you're probably lying on the beach. But our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD Controls for WPF and RAD Controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next-generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base and share the same API, so transition is seamless. Uh, they have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. Well, what, what advice would you have for somebody literally just 
starting out? I mean, is there there the thing about get a good accountant, get a good lawyer? You know, what what do you really need to kick off and get a business started? I think a lot of it depends on what the the business is that you're in and what the barriers to entry are. I mean, one of the nice things about the online publishing world is that there's almost no barrier to entry. It's uh, you know, it costs a few bucks to register a domain and you just write a website and you're good to go. You know, some other things like if you wanted to create a, a wireless telephone company, I mean, you'd have to have billions of dollars in infrastructure. So you'd have to have investors. One thing that I've never had to deal with is is going to the bank or going to uh, investors or, or angel investors or any of that yeah. to try and get money for the business. It's always just kind of organically grown, um, which I've I've liked because I'm not real big on the risk of of spending other people's money for my business. Well, that's the wonderful thing about the internet and digital in general is it's cheaper to sell electrons than molecules. Definitely. Cheaper to ship. Do you, anyway. one of you uh, have any experience with investors? I don't. It's too bad Richard isn't here. He he has done that, and he is also a successful entrepreneur with uh, Strange Loop, uh, which you know quite a little bit about, um, Steve. But uh, he has, they've been through a couple of rounds of investors, and uh, the stories that I hear give me heartburn. I mean, just the amount of money that, goes in and comes out so fast when you have uh, when you have a, a product that you're producing and you've got a large staff and uh, it, the burn rate is really really high yeah that just scares me it seems really high risk yeah I mean they they've got a great product but you know every round of investment with every round comes um, less and less ownership so right no yeah. I agree strange loop's got a really cool product. I mean, it's basically you plug it in and it makes your website go faster. So it can't get any easier than that. It's yeah. like a turbocharger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, getting back to the investment thing, it, it scares the hell out of me. I, and I, I don't know enough about investment and, you know, angels and all of that stuff to know what's a good deal, what isn't. Uh, you know, that when, when, you, when you suddenly become like in that world and you've never thought about it before, you suddenly realize how over your head you are. <laughs> you really need to enlist the help of somebody who's done it before and who knows what to expect and and all that. Yeah, I mean, relatively all all three of us run small businesses, so um, you know we're we're where the buck stops uh, as far as making decisions. We don't have to go to a board of directors, or we don't have to go to investors right. to uh, you know get get somebody's approval for something. To me, that's worth a lot. That's worth going to a bank and getting a bridge loan before I would go. Yeah. Uh, seek selling stock to someone else. I would also say that with the lower risk, lower pressure environment of a of a small business, you can you can make the money that you want to make in life and just not have all that pressure. I mean, when you when you start getting big with staff and big business and stuff, yeah, the upside potential is you know multiple millions and bazillions of dollars, and I guess you could turn into a you know, a robber baron if you wanted to, if you could. But it just that kind of lifestyle doesn't appeal to me at all. I would much prefer the quality of life and being comfortable than than taking that big risk. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, I've had people tell me either you grow or you die and all this stuff. But uh, I, I really don't buy into that. I mean, there's room for you to run a, a business that's high quality, and not have to constantly expand and make it bigger and right. gobble up other companies. Right. Yeah, and that's really a challenge when you're working on your business is 
that if if you really are the owner, like the three of us basically are, I mean, it's it's up to you to decide how much you want to work. And if you do have goals to grow, it's like, well, there's always more work to do. You know, you can't right. go home at, on Friday and be like, oh, I did all my work for this week. You know, there's there's always like a hundred more hours worth of work that you needed to get done that week that you didn't get done, or or you know, other things that you've got to prioritize. That's one of the hardest things is is deciding which things you can take on with your limited resources. And my advice is find people, uh, surround yourself with people who are really good at the stuff that you don't want to do. I, I run into this a lot, that people feel they have to do this or they have to do that in their business. They have to do the books. They have to, you know, uh, whatever, do some of the hard, dirty work and stuff. But but you don't. I mean, you basically, if you want to pay somebody to do the things that you don't want to do, that's fine. You just have to make sure that it's economically feasible. But uh, I have an office organizer here, and if I didn't have her, I'd be in jail. I swear to God. <laughs> I can't pay bills on time. It's just, like, not in my nature to do that. So that was the best decision I ever made, actually, is having a having a bookkeeper come in and organize her. Yeah, I, I'm not detail-oriented either. Uh, you know, one of the best things I ever did was turn bookkeeping over to my wife, and eventually we, we grew to a point where we got an accountant, and she still interfaces with the accountant, so I, I really never worry about any of any of those financial details. And that makes me very happy. I don't want to have to worry about that. That's pretty much the same scenario I've got. My wife is the CEO and, and also manages all the books and mostly deals with the accountant. But when that works, it works great. But uh, unfortunately, like for us, we recently had to switch accountants, and you know, finding a good accountant is challenging. Even is. to find the last one we had, which we were pretty happy with, um, originally, that was like our third try, and there's no easy way other than talking to people you know to find one that's any good. And yeah. uh, these guys like ended up totally screwing things up after they switched which accountant. Like it's a, it's an accounting company, so they switched which individual accountant we had, and they were clueless. So now we've we've switched again, and we're spending a lot of money trying to fix things that the other accountant screwed up, and it's just a hassle that detracts from actually the core business that we're trying to do. Indeed. The, uh, we were, we were talking about, um, uh, advice to give somebody who's just starting out. Mark, you, you got into this, uh, um, actually your business started taking off while you were a co-host of .NET Rocks and, and in the consulting business. And you found yourself just having, uh, to manage a whole bunch of people. What was one of the biggest challenges that, uh, of growing to where you grew now? What was one of the biggest challenges you faced? Well, I, I think it touches on something that Stephen mentioned earlier, which is, you know, trying to, to do everything yourself and uh, just becoming distracted. I, I would get distracted, and I couldn't keep everything in my head. Uh, so I got a legal pad. I started making to-do lists and making no- notes on that. But, you know, once I got to the point that I, I couldn't get through everything in one day ever that I had on that list, I, I knew at that point I had to involve more people and yeah. get someone to help me manage it. Right. Now, um, do both of you guys still work out of your homes, or do you have offices? We have an office. We have uh, my wife and I plus six employees, so that, that wouldn't fly too well in our house, I don't right. think. We, uh, we actually had an office in Alpharetta uh, for about three and a half months. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of an expensive place to, to rent property, in Atlanta, and uh, I, I started to notice that none of us were ever there. 
you know, we would we would go there and have a meeting with a client on the weekends. We had some consultants that would come in and sort of do the war room whiteboard thing. But for the most part, that space went unused because we're always off on the road doing things. So I, I eventually sublet that and moved everything back into my house. Mark, do you have a problem sort of switching between family life and work life? I mean, this is one of the problems I had when I was first working out of my home, which was the, there was no door to my basement office, and I was basically up and down the stairs constantly all day, all night. There was never really... I wasn't very good at separating. You know, now I'm working, now I'm not. If there was a crisis during the middle of the day upstairs, you know, then I had to deal with it. And, yeah, that's what you run into working uh, from a home office. There, there's really, I don't think, any way around that. I mean, you could try to say that I've got rules where at 5 o'clock every day I'm going to shut down and go watch TV or whatever. But, you know, you really can't do that. It depends on what's going on that week. But I think you kind of make up for it. I mean, there, there are weeks that uh, the majority of the week I spend doing stuff with my family when I'm home. Uh, and I get a lot, a lot of work, probably a lot more done on the road because I'm not doing anything in the evening with the family. You know, I, I'm not really a guy that will sit down and watch TV every evening right. for three hours. I find it easy, too, in a hotel room to sit and work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Un- uninterrupted. Yeah, me too. Steve, tell us um, real quick about ASP Alliance. What's that all about? Well, ASP Alliance uh, was one of the early Active Server Pages websites, and uh, over time it's morphed into pretty much just a general uh, Microsoft developer, primarily website with, with articles uh, and content. Um, we pay our authors a, a modest sum for their contributions, and we publish new articles every week. We publish videos. We have a weekly newsletter, and it's, it's basically just a uh, content publishing Site that has uh, you know actual edited articles um, about software uh, technology topics. And was that um, w- was that something that ever turned into a business, or was that just a labor of love for you? Um, it was a business. I was. Uh, it wasn't actually started by me. It was started by uh, another individual. I think in '97, and I was an author on the site. And then in 1998, I basically took over the site, and uh, you know they began running it at that time and and it's it's a business i mean it, it makes some money on the advertising but it also involves a fair bit of work because we employ a couple of editors to do technical editing and copy editing and we pay the authors so i mean it's it's got it's not all just like free money coming in or anything like that it, it has some significant overhead that is involved but it's it's grown over the years and it still uh comes up pretty high on a lot of the search uh rankings for most you know asp.net type topics it's very cool Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. The um, you know I hear I can hear the voices in the heads of the listeners saying, "Well, I've got a lot of skills and I've got a lot of experience in this business, and yeah, I have web uh, website skills and development skills. Surely I can come up with something you know to do to 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 
to get me into this sort of entrepreneur lifestyle. What, uh, but you know, a lot of people think all the great ideas have been taken and there's no room, you know, what, what could I possibly do? But I find that as I'm just using software and using the internet, um, uh, needs for things, you know, I, wow, I would really like to see a, you know, software that did this or that and it never ends. Um, do you think, do you find that true? Do you, do you find yourself having ideas all the time that, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you see them come to fruition by somebody else, like in a, in a month and you're like, see, I knew that was a good idea. Yeah. Sometimes I think most of my ideas aren't that good, but, uh, a few of them, I, I think, you know, they could, they could work out. The, the thing is that I learned, uh, I actually got a, an MBA, a business degree a few years ago at uh, a local university. And one of the things that, uh, they had an entrepreneur course there and they drove home the idea that an idea is not a business. Yeah. And, and that was something that really clicked with me because, right. you know, lots of people have ideas, but right. it takes a lot more than just the idea to turn it into a viable business. Oh, it certainly does. Yep. It was actually, uh, you were talking about people that have, you know, some skill in development and they're wondering, you know, how can they take the next steps to be self-employed or, or run their own business. For me, it was a very gradual process because I had some real simple articles on ASP Alliance that got popular and by virtue of that, I got contacted by some book publishers that wanted me to do, like, technical reviews of chapters, and then eventually they wanted me to write for them. And then um, I had—I was a consultant at the time with another company, and I had people start asking me if I would do training and if I would do consulting, and eventually there was enough demand of that that I said, okay, I'll just go do my own training and consulting business. So I did that for a couple of years until the uh, the advertising agency thing really just took off, and we decided to focus on that primarily. So, you know, you can... Just by getting yourself out there and online and, and blogging and, and doing other things, you can certainly start to build up a reputation for yourself that can then be turned into uh, another business venture. Yeah, that's actually very excellent advice, and uh, it's something I was having a conversation with uh, recently. You mentioned reputation uh, with another guy that I know that's uh, starting a company, and he sort of got himself in a bind uh, with one of his clients. And he was asking my advice about it. And, you know, I told him, I said, you've got to make it right with that client. You know, if you're first starting a business, the last thing you need is somebody in the industry saying, uh, this is not a good guy. Yeah, and you never know when you're going to come back and, and work with somebody again. Um, some of the people I've hired are people that I worked with when I was a consultant eight years ago. And a couple of years ago, I hired some of the people I worked with there because they were, you know, they were looking for work. And I was like, hey, I could use you. And then now, eight years later, I'm actually doing work for that same client that I was a consultant at eight years ago with a different company. So it's it's really a small world um, in terms of this, this .NET and Microsoft software development space. Certainly, there certainly is a lot of room for uh, uh, new, new products and services. And I think especially with the advent of Silverlight, WPF, and all these great tools that are coming out, I'm I'm not so sure about WPF to be quite honest, um, but but Silverlight certainly is sort of a no-brainer in terms of a technology that can be utilized early to do some very very cool things. Oh, we need to get Billy calling in if you if you're not sure about WPF. Well, you know WPF I think is isn't really an internet technology, and uh, if I was going to write a business application, I'd be writing it in WPF. But right. if I was going to go into some sort of internet-based digital business, um, I'd be really wanting to look at Silverlight. Right. 
Well, don't, yeah, don't you guys think far into the future that uh, the UI is, I, I hate to say it's not going to matter, but I think we're going to get to a point eventually where, uh, you, you know, there's an abstraction layer between devices and what we want to present to the point that it could be any device, a mobile phone, you know, a Windows app, a web app, uh, that we're just going to write one set of UI code, at least this is what I'm hoping will happen, and we won't have to worry about the uh, the end. You know, sort of the reverse of a virtual machine. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure we'll ever get there, but I, I would sure love it if I didn't have to worry about cross-browser compatibility and, and CSS and all of these issues that come with the web. Hmm. And I really think that WPF is going to be a lot more popular once Silverlight 2 releases because a lot of people that have web-based skills are going to learn Silverlight, and they're going to realize, oh, well, WPF works the same way. And, and some of these apps I'm writing really would be easier if they were a Windows app. So you know, I think WPF adoption will go way up once Silverlight becomes mainstream. Right. Yeah, they're already along the way to knowing WPF since it's just a subset of the same uh, commands. Yeah. Right. I mean, WPF is, is the superset, right? Right. Yeah, I, I meant to say Silverlight was a subset. Yeah, I agree. And And Richard and I have said this on the show many times that we we thought at first that uh, WPF would be a stepping stone to Silverlight, but I think it's the other way around. You know, the, the people who know Silverlight will, you know, naturally want to go and learn WPF, not 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 the other way around. That I think it's a stepping stone to WPF. So I have a question for you two on uh, the topic of running a small business. What's what's the uh, rate of return or the optimal size where having employees makes sense? Because what I've found is that if you're only going to have one employee, the overhead of payroll and benefits and, and all those other things is, is usually not enough to make it worthwhile. And until you're, you're going to have at least a couple or three employees, you don't really get the, the benefit of the extra labor force to make up for the extra overhead and management and all those other things. What do you think? I'll, I'll speak up and say that we have three employees right now. Uh, somebody who asked me how many people are in your company, my answer is usually, you know, 50 to 52. But most all of those are, well, all of them are contractors because we employ contractors to do, uh, you know, most all of our work. And uh, if we look at those 52, at any given time, only 20 to 25 of those are billing on something. So to me, I, I've never wanted the risk of having a large number of employees to have to manage. Uh, I know I might get a better break on insurance that way, but I also didn't want to have to fire people. And I remembered working for a consulting company that was huge at one point. They went through a slow spell, and it almost killed the company because the owner was reluctant to fire anybody. So he had, you know, a 1,000 people on the bench for three months, and that basically gutted the company of all of its money. Sure. And, uh, you, you know, you you have hard decisions to make. I mean, the guy had a heart for his employees, he didn't want to fire anybody, but he also wasn't looking at the fact that trying to keep their salaries up there was going to completely destroy the entire business. So I, I think that's a hard question to answer at times, and it may really depend on the type of business you run. Uh, doing training and consulting, having contractors works out very well. Well, I've never had um, employees other than myself that everybody that works for me works on contract. And a lot of it is because there isn't round-the-clock work for anybody, really. I mean, the the our work comes in short jobs, right? 
So, um, and I don't have enough book work to keep an organizer here 40 hours a week. I don't have enough editing work to keep even one guy here 40 hours a week. So I can't, but I've still, even though I've paid people in that way, I have still had to let people go. And I tell you, it is the hardest thing to do, especially when they're your friends. Um, and it comes down to, you know, uh, just a matter of killing time. I mean, we went through a dry spell at Franklin's Net in training, in the training business. And I had uh, a guy here, two guys actually working for me that, you know, they had families and, and everything else. And they were expecting that and things dried up and, uh, there was no money to pay them. So it was either, um, I take out a loan and pay them and go into debt, uh, or, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's just nothing here. So, so we all had to tighten our belts and it was really, really hard. It's the hardest thing I ever had to do Yes, to let somebody go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that again. Yeah, it's definitely no fun. We've had to do that once with a, uh, salesperson that just wasn't selling anything. And it wasn't easy. I mean, he wasn't a friend, which I know would have made it a lot harder, but it's still, I mean, you, you hire somebody and you get to know them and you think everything's going to work out and you're, everybody has the best intentions. And right. sometimes it's just not working out. True. It's tough stuff. But you know what? It, it sure, sure beats working for the man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, except when you own the business, you've become the man. So. That's right. <laughs> That's the problem. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, and people think that if you have your own business, you don't have a boss and you can do whatever you want. But yeah. really, you're just trading one boss for lots of bosses. Lots of bosses. Now all your customers are your boss. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, let's just make it a short show today, shall we? Is there anything else that we uh, we haven't covered? I think maybe we've given some people some good ideas, some food for thought about you know starting that business, jumping in. Well, you know, you almost made me laugh uh, earlier, Carl, when you said, you know, uh, there are guys out there that want the life of an entrepreneur. <laughs> when you said that, the image popped in my mind of a guy bent over a desk, you know, sweating bullets, trying yeah. to figure out, you know, how he was going to balance the books and pay everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's you, <laughs> you know, basically the, have to be risk. Uh, you have to like risk, I think. You know? Yeah, you do. I mean, the, the rewards are certainly great, but uh, yeah, you got to go into it with your eyes open and know that uh, right. yeah, they're going to. And we talked about this uh, just the other day about owning a business. Right. There are definitely good days and bad days, good yes. weeks and bad weeks. It, yeah. it definitely jumps up and down. Yeah, I think probably the biggest factor is you know pick your business carefully. Right. Don't pick a business that is susceptible to. Uh, well, you, everybody's susceptible to to certain forces in the market, right? Everybody is, but the the more stable, and this seems like such common sense. Yeah, don't pick an unstable business, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, really, take the take the 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 blinders off your eyes for just a second, and think about what are the factors that are the requirements of the environment that you're working in for you to be successful, right? What are the external factors that could wreak havoc with you? What are, what are factors in the marketplace, in the economy, that kind of stuff? What, what fundamental industries are you tied to? Energy, you know, banking? What, what are those industries that you're tied to and what does the climate look like? I mean, those are all things that you got to think about. And I'm sure that 
that's uh, that was a lot of what you thought about in when you were getting your MBA, Stephen. Yeah, um, that's a lot of what is covered in that, and that was one of the things that made me choose to get an MBA and, as a master's degree instead of getting a master's in computer science, which is what my bachelor's degree is in. Yeah, is that the you know I knew I wanted to run my own business, and the the things I would learn in college with a master's degree in CS five years ago were somewhat behind what people were doing in industry with technology. So it was like I could go learn what people were doing in the 90s with, with computer science, or I could go learn how to run a business, which I think was would be more appropriate. So I think that worked out well for me. One thing, uh, a book I read that I would highly recommend anyone that's thinking about starting their own business is called The E-Myth Revisited, and it's by Michael Gerber. I don't know if either one of you have read it. No, I haven't. No? No. It's great, and uh, it's a quick, easy read, and one of the points that it makes that really I, I took home was that there's a big difference between really liking to do something, like say write programming code, you know, write software, and wanting to run a business of writing software, because they're not the same thing at all. Right. If you, all you want to do is write software, then going into business for yourself to write software is probably not a good idea, because you're going to end up having to do a whole lot of other things. Right. But if you like doing all those things, then then by all means, you know, you can go and do your own software development. Right. You can use the knowledge that you have of building software to help guide your decisions. Sure. Or you, or you can partner with someone. I mean, if you can partner with someone that's okay doing all that stuff and they'll let you just go write code, right. well, then that's great. Right. Uh, I'd also throw into the mix that it's a good idea to find some mentors, uh, find some guys with gray hair that have retired, that ran successful businesses, that are there for you to bounce ideas off of and just get their opinions. I've got a couple of guys like that, and their advice is invaluable to me most of the time. That's great sure. advice. I definitely agree with that. Great advice. Well, guys, this was a heck of a lot of fun, and I uh, hope it was edutainable. <laughs> <laughs> I feel edutainable. Yeah. I hope it was uh, educational and entertaining at the same time, which is what we always strive to do here on Dynamic Rocks. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Carl. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Mr. Dunn. Always fun, man. I appreciate it. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions. Providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. .net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.